as an immigrant, you're not allowed to give up. That's how mindset I had. I'm not, I have to suffer through this. That's how I felt in the beginning. If I would fail, if I would drop out of college after two years, that would mean I failed my parents for moving to this country when they barely spoke English, when they spent all their entire money to come to this country. Honestly, as an immigrant, you're always like, like exactly how you were saying, like you're either a lawyer, doctor, or embarrassment to your family, right? We had that similar thing. And I, I was always compared by my cousins or my family members, how they're doing. If you didn't make it to that, or you if you didn't go up beyond that, like you, what are you doing with your life? But you don't know what you're doing. You have to find your crowd and your people and you have to talk about what you're facing, be vulnerable with them. And I think having that in my life has really helped me to be vocal about it. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not the only person who's been going through this. There are so many other people and we share the same thing. Yes. Can we fix it? Maybe not. But can we talk about it and learn from it and be very conscious of it? Yes. Turn this up. Turn this up. Your professional development is one of the keys to your career success. When you combine your desire to grow with actionable steps, your journey to success becomes an incredible reality. Hi, I'm Paul Faranbi, and welcome to Incredible Paul Leadership, where we learn how to become the most incredible versions of ourselves by learning from each other. Today, I have the honor of having Dr. Sana Nassim on the show. She's a Muslim American and postdoctoral fellow at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. I had an opportunity to hear her speak on a panel during the 2023 LSMRC conference, and I knew I had to have her on the show. So that was just a brief introduction about you and how we, I got to learn about you, but introduce yourself the way you would do it. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. Um, so as you said, my name is Sana. I am a postdoctoral fellow in the vascular biology program at Boston Children's Hospital. So I have double appointment with the Boston Children's Hospital and the Harvard Medical School. Um, and I am just finishing on my third year, going into my fourth year, wow. and hopefully going into um, academic world. I my goal is to become a professor. I want to have my own lab. I'm really passionate about mentoring, so we can talk about that at some yeah. point. Um, I I really admire, like, I learned a lot more from young people than they probably learned from me when they're <laughs> like when I'm mentoring them. <laughs> so it's like a really bi-directional relationship, yeah. and I think that's something that really motivates me to become a professor and have my own lab. No, I'm doing science too. Yeah, no, that's really cool. We can talk more about it right now with with mentorship and awesome. mentoring young people. So, was there kind of a moment that you maybe for you experienced mentorship, or you want to start mentorship, or how did this kind of journey in mentorship start for you? So I started back in when I was an undergrad. So kind of going back step a little back. Um, I came to United States when I was 17 years old. So just within two years, I ended up going to college mm. and. I just can imagine like learning a different culture, language, the environment and everything. And then going into undergrad, I didn't know anything about college or I, to me, I was always taught that, okay, you go to school, you take classes and you're done. But opportunities, are, that was something like I was not aware of. Um, so I became part of the Ronald E. McNair program. Uh, and through that, that was my first time having a mentor. Yeah. 
And that mentor changed my life. That's amazing. I would say. I want to stop you right there. I, I don't know if a lot of people know what the Ronald E. McNair program is. If you talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So it's a first generation um, program. It's a summer program. Um, usually it's a summer program, but you can prolong it and do research furthermore with the same mentor. But the idea is to provide a space and learning um I, like how to actually do research um, through this program, uh, and it's based for first generation students, um, underrepresented minority. Um, so it's a really I I highly recommend young people to look into yes. that. It it was definitely life changing pro- program for me, um, and it was very interesting. Like one of my professors, she was like, "I think you should apply for this program," wow. and I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> and that's how I just kind of into the making yeah, program yeah. which i didn't really was thinking of applying for um through that program i got this mentor who not just made me realize my full potentials when i didn't understand uh myself or i didn't have any like trust in my abilities i would say uh, i was very shy very like, naive i i just focused on classes and that's it because that's what I I was told what to do in in my country. The classes like opportunity was not something that we were talked about. Um, so my mentor, I I till this day I say that like I want to be like him. Oh, wow. I want to be that mentor um, because he was somebody who really helped me understand myself better, not just the scientific aspects of it, but also he was like always asked me deeper question about who I am. Wow. And like, I don't know how he was doing it. <laughs> and he never, could you not? He never told me to go to grad school. Really? Never. Never told me to go to grad school. But he's the reason I, I went to grad school because I wanted to be like him. Wow. And I was just that was like a, such a turning point for me. I'm like, I want to be a person just by being who I am can help people guide mm. to their path and helping them find their path. And um, like I then I remember like telling him like, oh, I'm applying to grad school. He's like, like, you really want to do this? And I was like, yes, and I want to be like you. And he was like, oh, wow, I'm glad it worked out for you because I was trying, but I didn't want to tell you what to do. Mm. And I was like, whoa, that. So that's the type of men I I really aspire that um, a mentor who kind of guides you in your own path rather than telling you this is what you need to do this is what you like you finding your own path and your own curve and that's something really inspires me are you looking for a place to continue to grow and develop especially in your leadership how about connecting with others who feel the same way hi I'm Paul Ferrandi aka Incredible Paul and I've got great news for you the Incredible Paul community is for people who desire to become the most incredible versions of themselves. The community is for individuals who are goal-driven and action-oriented. This community is dedicated to leadership and personal growth, especially in going deeper in your career, starting a business, or developing a business. Join me in becoming the most incredible version of yourself. Go to incrediblepaul.org slash community to join the wait list and sign up. I-N-C-R-E-D-I-Paul dot org slash community. Join the wait list. I can't wait to see you there. And uh, to this day, like I mentor a lot of students. And when I do that, I try to find their 
I want potentials and kind of guide that instead of telling them. Sometimes I do have to tell them like, hey, I think research might be a path mm-hmm. for you or whatever. But um, overall, it's, I want to guide them on their own path rather than formulating that for them, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good yeah, that that's really powerful that he didn't even tell you to go to grad school. And even when you said you were going to grad school, he's like, are you sure? So that I think that's really powerful that what, what you said there, as far as a mentor that guides you, because it's really easy as a mentor, because you most likely have been in their shoes before to be like, well, you need to do this. Watch out for this. Don't do that. Don't even try that. But the fact that he took the time to to speak to what you were trying to do in education and professionally, but also I know you mentioned like asking the deeper questions. I think that balance is really crucial for mentorship. Mm-hmm. Yes. And something that he always used to say, having a clarity of thoughts and expression. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand as an undergraduate mm-hmm. student. I, I'm like, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. <laughs> and he constantly said this to me. But the m- more I got into like grad school and now as a postdoc, now that I'm going to write grants, yeah. I'm like, that's exactly what I need. Clarity of thoughts and expression. Mm-hmm. If I'm not clear about my path, if I'm not clear about the signs that I'm trying to convey, then forget it. Like I am not going to be able to sit with somebody and talk to them about it or sell the idea. And I was like, wow, like he's been telling me all along without really telling me. <laughs> so it was, that was the start for me. And I was just like, okay, I got, I got to do this. Like I am in, I, I'm, this is something I'm passionate about. And um, that has been driving me despite of all the challenges that has been coming along the way. I think that's something that's been a driving force for me to keep going. That's that's really good. And that's really what mentorship is, is for, is to help you along your path to keep building upon where you want to go. So I, I know you mentioned like the mm-hmm. Ronnie McNair program was what really catapulted you into mentorship and going into grad school. When you were coming into undergrad, what were your kind of your thoughts about what you wanted to do or did you know what you wanted to do? No, not at all. So as I said, I I was two years in US and I within those two years I had to apply for mm-hmm. college, which I didn't know. My parents were under like survival mm-hmm. mode. They never really talked to us about college. They just just like, okay, you have to do school because that's why we came to this mm-hmm. country for. Um but there was no guidance in that. So when I was applying to colleges, there were only three colleges I could apply for because they were close to my house. <laughs> so I was not <laughs> to go farther. Yeah. Like my mom said, these are the three schools that you're going to apply. And I'm like, okay, I guess I, that's what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And I just literally, um, I know this sounds kind of funny when I like even look back at after 10 years, I just checked the box biomedical engineering because um, I really like biology and my mom, oh, I really like mathematics and my mom liked biology. She wanted me to become a doctor. Okay. Like, you know, every Asian immigrant <laughs> dream is to become a doctor. And because, <laughs> and my mom, so I was like, okay, biomedical engineering sounds good. I had no idea. I did not Google it and I just got yeah. in. So I just applied and I got in and I remember the first semester, I'm like, I have no idea what my major is because I forgot. Oh man. I like 
I forgot what my major was. And because I was taking prerequisites, I was taking basic classes. I was not really going into major. And I remember like looking through the portal. I'm like, I really need to know what my major is because people are asking me right now. And I didn't know. And when I took my first uh, introduction class, I was like, whoa, this is fascinating. And I really, and it was more fascinating to me because I, I come from a very conservative family and going into school, I went to an engineering school. I went to a tech school and there was just a lot of guys. I, I didn't even know about that cultural shock that I was about to get in. Like that was something I didn't expect. I, uh, then when people around me are talking about like how there's lack of women in engineering, I, I was seeing it and I was like, wow, I was connecting dots. Like, I just didn't know. That's how naive I was when I got undergrad. So when I took my first introduction class, I I was like, whoa, this is fascinating. I really want to help. Like, this is kind of like getting close to being a doctor. I'm like helping people to find better approaches. Um, Because we talked a lot about like surgical equipments and things like that. So I was like, oh, this is good. but it was hard. It was it was really hard. There was in the beginning, I was like, okay, I, maybe I should quit. I don't I'm, I don't like being around men all the time. Like my classes were heavily men, um, but I just really fell in love with my initial courses that I took with biomedical engineering, and then I started doing research. And I was like, oh wow, like it, I'm so I'm a person of faith, and I was like, whoa, this is like God really put me into this without me knowing. And that's how I've been kind of seeing yeah. this journey yeah. that he really put me in the path without me realizing, like he knew that I I didn't know what I was doing. So he was guiding yes. me through it. He was pushing me through it. I didn't give up. I ended up graduating in four years, even though I was a little behind because I took a lot of prerequisite courses because a lot of my call, like friends were already taking high level mathematics when I was not. Mm-hmm. And I was already behind, but I ended up doing it in four years and I look back at now and I'm like, wow, like there was a higher energy. Like if you talk more about God, like there's a higher energy that's really drive, like really helped me drive because I had no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't know back then, I had no idea. I could only imagine now that I have a clarity <laughs> in my yes. little bit of like how where I want to go. I can only imagine like how much I can accomplish with that clarity. And mm-hmm. you know? also, um, I always looked at as like somebody was holding my hand and pushing me through and put me into this. <laughs> Then I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, no, that's that's really powerful. I'm a person of faith as well. I definitely agree that God orchestrates things that we don't always see or don't always understand, and it it works out for our our good in the end if we're able to trust God in it. So that's that's yes. gotta have a faith. Go no, go ahead. I was saying this. You just gotta have a faith yeah. that you are gonna be all right in the end of this. Um, and somebody's helping. If you're already there at the door, that means you were meant to pass that door. Mm. Um, so I truly believe that, like, if I made it there, that means I was meant mm. to be there. And if I didn't make it there, that door or that place was not for me. And, you know, like, it's been like a really driving force for every place that I either get into or not get into that, you know, and it makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it said a few times that rejection is redirection because it's really easy because I, I talk about failure and resilience all the time that 
failure is part of the process. Rejection is part of the process. And just because you're rejected doesn't mean that you can't be doing something else. And it doesn't mean that you can't come back to that later. It just means that this moment in time, it's not for you. But that doesn't mean that you should quit. Absolutely. Oh, I so, so, so deeply agree with that. I tell myself every time I get rejected, I'm like, wow, what's new for me then? <laughs> this is not it. Then what is the next thing for me? Um, and I kind of like changed that mindset as well, because in academia, as you know, like we have a lot of failure. We have a lot of failures. And if I would keep getting stuck on these closed doors, then I'm never going to find that new door. So I always like, oh okay, what's new? I gotta move on. Like I'll give myself two hours to cry about this. I'm gonna move on. Like find this next door because it is a redirection, right? Like it's a redirection. So we gotta go to the other side. Um, but yeah, I have an example about yeah, this. Uh, your audience. So I was in grad school and I applied for these two fellowships and I didn't get it. I was really, really, really sad. I'm like, God, I for this i really wanted it i knew it was going to be great for my career why didn't i get it and my mom told me she's like maybe there's something better out there for you and i was like what can be more better these are like top-notch fellowships that i applied for didn't get it um within six months i met um this uh she was a ceo of this foundation and i worked on heartwells before i met her randomly and i asked her hey she was promoting about this research grant uh, for pis and you have to have a phd and i asked her randomly because i was getting a sticker from her table <laughs> and i randomly asked her hey, can I apply for this grant? And she's like, do you have a PhD? I'm like, well, I'm a PhD candidate. And she was like, you have to have a PhD for this. And I was like, well, I don't, but I want to apply. She's like, okay, I'll think about it. Let me get back to you tomorrow. Why don't you show me an email? And I was like, oh, yeah. I sent her an email. She thought about it. And she told me, Sana, why don't you apply? Wow. I'll make an exception for wow. you. And I got my own funding for two years saw like 100%, like there was no percentage that would went to the university. It was 100% funding that I got just to pay myself and my work, 50%. Wow. So I got, so I got a grant. There was an, like an article about it, like how a PI grant that was given to a PhD candidate. And I got it for two-year renewal. And I'm, and I, every time, like the first time that I got it, my mom was like, isn't this the best thing? And I was like, you know, it is. It's better than a fellowship. Yeah. Fellowship only pays for your, like, your stipend. But this is paying me to do sign. Like, I had so much privilege. I was buying things because I'm like, okay, I can do this experiment now because I have so much privilege. And it was 30K just to do science per year. And it was incredible. Like, so it, it really changed my mindset to every time I thought this was something good for me and I didn't get it. I'm like, no, there's something much better. When something is taken away from you, something better mm. comes your way that is good for you, good for your path. And that kind of, when that thing happened in grad school for me, I was like, yeah, like I got to have that mind switch on much faster pace rather than like dragging that sadness for a really long time you know um that it it really is about um that mindset that um 
when you don't get something, there's something better out, out for you. Are you wondering what's next? Has everything you tried failed? Or maybe you just feel stuck? Then coaching might be right for you. The coaching relationship is a relationship totally centered on you. If you're tired of running on the hamster wheel of life and want to start to see results, reach out to Incredipal for help. So what are you waiting for? Go to incredipal.org slash coaching, I-N-C-R-E-D-I-P-A-U-L dot org slash coaching or at I am Incredipal on all my socials. Or you can click the link in the bio for your free coaching session. I want to make sure you become the most incredible version of yourself. Mindset is, is so huge. I would say mindset is really almost everything because we can't control what happens to us. We can only control how we respond to it. And life is just full of responses. And I, I want to really highlight like what you just said about that as a PhD candidate, you got a grant for PIs or for those who are not in the research space for a principal investigator. So someone that is leading the research. So someone that already has a PhD <laughs> is more established is usually when they get those grants. And you got that as a PhD candidate. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And it was, it was because I took a responsibility because I was the first person mm -hmm. and I, a big responsibility on myself that I have to do my best because I want another person to get this grant too. Mm. I want, if somebody again would approach to them, then they would say, we had a good example. So why not give mm. it a try again? So I took a very, like very big responsibility and I wrote really good progress report. So when I was graduating, the foundation reached out to the my graduate school and they wanted to create an actual funding for PhD candidates to apply. Wow. So now it's like a, it's a regular base, yearly based funding that they give wow. out every year. And it's been three years since I left and they have had three cycles yeah. and they, I, I was genuinely like really happy with the fact that it created, I, it created a chain and it's going to impact not just, not just my graduate career. It impacted other people's as well. And I'm, I think it will open a lot more doors if you have certain opportunity like this. So it's really like, it, it, and it also came down to like, you have to ask. If I never asked that question to that lady back then, you know, it would have never happened. So you got to ask for those opportunities. A lot of times you, you don't, you're not going to get just by sitting around, you know, um, you have to like really be active about it and getting it. Yes. Asking is so yeah. huge. And did you say, I, I want to make sure I heard it right initially when you said you asked her about that, but you're initially going to get a sticker at her table. Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, so it was like a fair yeah. and I wanted a sticker yeah. because they were a hard foundation yeah. and I really wanted a sticker from yeah. the table. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's, that's absolutely remarkable. And what you said about asking is, is so huge because a lot of times we don't get things because we self-reject. So the other person hasn't rejected us. And it's kind of a, a defense mechanism is that we don't want someone else to reject us. So we reject ourselves first. But what we don't realize is that there's so many opportunities that are lost 
because we don't ask. So there's a podcast episode I had, uh, a previous episode I had with Jody Mayberry, and he talked about this, asking more, offering more. He's a he's a podcaster. Uh, he does stuff in the National Park Service. He does a lot of things in podcasting now. And he talked about the only reason why he even got into podcasting or got deeper into podcasting was he asked the um, Lee Cockrell, who did a lot of stuff with uh, Disney World. So he was the CEO of Disney World for years. He reached out to him to have him on his episode. And at that time, he was fairly new to podcast game. And he just did stuff in the natural parks. But what he didn't know is that Lee Cockrell actually had, a, I think it was a sister-in-law or sister who was really into the, the parks world. So when he reached out, he's like, oh, I, I love this stuff. But you would never have known that, never got that opportunity. And that was, I think, 10 plus years ago. And now he does a lot of speaking engagements. Lee Cockrell travels the world with him, manages a lot of his developmental sessions. And that was just from asking. Yeah. All you have to do is ask. You, I once read this quote and I, I would never forget it. It's been 12 years since I've read it. And it was in November 2009, I think, nine or 10. It said, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Wow. And it, it stuck in my head that I am not going to get it without asking. You know, I'm not going to get it. I have to reach out. Um, if I want something and I have a clarity of why I want it, I'm going to get it because the universe is going to conspire for me to have it. Yeah. You know, like that's how I see it. I will make it happen because I have a clarity of what I want. Um, and I will ask, I will ask my me wrong people or correct my right people and I will make it happen. You know, um, so you have to have that mindset and that keeps you going. As you said earlier, like the mindset is so important in this to really help you navigate that. Otherwise, it's so much easier to just sit back and be like, I'm not going to make it. So I'm just going to sit and do nothing about it. You know, yeah, that's really good. Just the, the overall mindset that we keep coming back to. I also, I also want to take a step back because I know you're talking about biomedical engineering and how you like with a lot of immigrant families, yeah. so Asian immigrant, I'm also, I'm a Nigerian immigrant and there's this running joke for Nigerians. I, I think it might be similar for Asian immigrants that you're either a doctor, mm -hmm. a lawyer, engineer, or a disappointment. <laughs> so um, that was something that was, this is a joke. My parents were not like that, but I ended up studying engineering. So I'm wondering as you got into engineering, I, as I know you said there's a lot, it's a male dominated field. And what, how did you navigate that? Or were there times that I know you kind of felt like giving up sometimes? What was the catalyst to keep you going? You know, um, as an immigrant, you're not allowed to give up. Mm -hmm. That's how mindset I had. I'm not, I have to suffer through this. That's how I felt in the beginning. If I would fail, if I would drop out of college after two years, that would mean I failed my parents for moving to this country when they barely spoke English, when they spent all their entire money to come to this country, mm. you know? 
So it was always, I ha- I feel like sometimes I still have that, uh, like I cannot mm-hmm. fail. Like now I'm uh, much better at like navigating that aspect that I'm allowed yeah. to fail. I'm about allowed to take a break yeah. or whatever. Um, it comes with a lot of self-reflection. But early on, I couldn't. I just knew I had to suffer through this and I had to work twice as hard as people around me because as I was saying, like I took a lot of, I didn't have that background that a lot of my friends had. Um, and, and, and engineering is hard. Yes. Engineering is so wow. hard. It's so hard. It's not just something you memorize and you show up to mm-hmm. an exam and it, you finish it. No, if you're like, it's, it's so hard. It's, it's really a critical thinking degree yeah. pretty much. Um, so in the beginning, when I was around these like heavily men dominated classes, I was very intimidated and I was already a very shy person. So I was intimidated. I did not ask questions. I would go to my professor's office hours. I would never ask that question in class because I was just scared. Um, and not until my third or fourth year, when I started giving research presentations, I somehow built that confidence in me. When I was giving those research presentations, when I was out there talking about science, um, I think that that gave me a power. It made me realize that um, education and just public speaking kind of gives you a lot of courage. Um, and that has been something that really kind of navigated that for me. And that's how I ended up doing my PhD in biomedical engineering as well. And by that point, I was not intimidated by men anymore. I feel like I intimidated men at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a joke between my oh, friends. Yeah. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I was just not afraid and. Honestly, as an immigrant, you're always like, like exactly how you were saying, like you're either a lawyer, doctor or embarrassment to your family, right? We had that similar thing. And I, I was always compared by my cousins or my family members, how they're doing. If you didn't make it to that, or if you didn't go up beyond that, like you, what are you doing with your life? You don't know what you're doing, right? And I, so I had that so much that I just stopped comparing myself to anyone. I'm like, I'm on my own journey. I'm not gonna compare myself to anyone. I'm just gonna become a better version of what I was before. And I am competing with the person who is gonna be, you know, that's what I inspired to be. And that's something I, I told this day, I like now that I work at Harvard, like everybody's just so incredibly smart there. <laughs> like it's like, they just have so much like, like their records are just, there's not, it, these are not normal people, I think. Um, <laughs> like they just have, they just have so many opportunities that, you know, and um, I don't compare myself to them. I'm like, I just have to become a better version of who mm-hmm. I am, where I came from. I have to remember that and aspire to be whatever I want to be, not, not on somebody else's journey. But it, it, it's been challenging. I'm not going to lie. Um, like being around men, but navigating that, I, I have no problem at this point. Um, I'm okay with being around them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'm completely okay with that. <laughs> no, I, I could definitely yeah. under, understand that, like what you said, like the, the pressure for being an, an immigrant. And depending on your, your parent, it may not always come directly from your, your parents. Like they're not intentionally trying to do it. It's just what, like you mentioned, like especially for you, you, you said you came to United States two years before you went off to college. I came when I was four years old. So it definitely looked a lot different. But the main purpose for you is that I want to bring you here, get a good education, be successful. So that's that's a lot of pressure. And then coming into engineering and mm -hmm. biomedical engineering. Um, and so for you to be able to, to navigate that and push through. And I also really like what you mentioned about that you kind of transformed into instead of being afraid of failure to to embrace it more as more of the, the process because it's it's really hard to to feel like oh I, I don't want to fail I don't want to be a disappointment in my family I don't want to let everyone down that can bring a lot of mental and emotional stress on yourself but the fact that you recognize that like I know you mentioned the self-reflection I'm huge proponent on self-reflection and and coaching and all the stuff in, in the mental health space because we we you don't know what you don't know about yourself sometimes and until so you, you yeah were yes. you about to say something I said yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you have to take the time to self-reflect and also part of that is like talking to people around you because they're there are blind spots that we have that we don't understand. And until someone tells us about our blind spots and we acknowledge it and do something about it, those two things have to come together for anything to start to change and move forward. Yeah, you have to find your crowd and your people and you have to talk about what you're facing, be vulnerable with them. And I think having that in my life has really helped me to be all vocal about it. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not the only person who's been going through mm -hmm. this. There are so many other people. And we share the same thing. Yes, can we fix it? Maybe <laughs> not. But can we talk about it and learn from it and be very conscious of it? Yes. Um, and that has something that's been keeping me going. One thing I also want to mention, it's so interesting because as an immigrant, your parents most of the time don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> You, they, like my parents till this day, they know like I'm, they don't really understand what a postdoc yeah. is. Yeah. And like, <laughs> they don't understand. Even when I was in grad school, they're like, when are you graduating? Four years, no? And I'm like, baby. It, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I graduated in five years and they were in the pandemic and they were like, why did it take five years? And they wouldn't understand. It was, they were put mm -hmm. like it was a lot of constraints that would go with that and they don't understand you really need to find your yes. crowd like people who are in the same journey as you and just talking about it just normalizing that that's their things that you cannot fix because it's just all it's it's always going to be there like I've, i'm not trying to fix my parents and i'm like let me teach you everything <laughs> that i'm doing right now how i'm going where i'm going and everything like i i I've kind of like put that on side and not take that personally. Mm -hmm. um, and and that would come to me. Oh, that that's really important to, to get to that that stage because, yeah, like we mentioned already, like STEM is hard. Engineering, I think, is harder. Just from the other people in STEM telling me that engineering is harder, and I haven't experienced <laughs> it as well. 
And so they're, they're not always going to understand and just being patient with them and trying to, to just get them to a, a place that they can understand somewhat. Um, but yeah, like what you mentioned, like five years is, I think that's really like the minimum for PhDs. Like if you get it under five years, it's like, I think it's more so luck than anything if you get it under five years. So then that's just something that most people don't, if you're not in that space, you don't understand it. No. Mm -mm. Like, no, it's, <laughs> it's been interesting. And I actually, um, when I was in grad school, I switched advisor after three years. So I pretty much got my PhD in two oh, years. Wow. But my, my parent, um, even at that point, I wanted to give up after three. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I went to Florida. I'm from New Jersey. I don't wow. want to live that far anymore. But my mom was pretty good at, she was like, no, you're not giving up. I'm not having you back in this house until you finish this. That's what she, <laughs> she was She's like, no option. I know she meant it yeah. in a good place, but I'm like, whoa, okay. I, I cannot give up. So I really pushed myself. I worked really hard for those two years too. I was already like, in the paperwork, I was already far ahead, but I just had to do the research and get out of there. But um, it was hard. And then on top, I was still get, when are you graduating? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just switched an advisor. Yeah, you started over. <laughs> they didn't understand Yeah, they didn't understand those things. So, and I'm like, I understand that. I, it's hard. That is very impressive that you are able to switch advisors after three years and still graduate uh, get your PhD in five years. That I that's like unheard of. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> I did not take a break. I worked seven days. Yeah, it was it was toxic way of doing oh, things. Wow. I'm I would not be able to do that. But it worked. Yeah, I would not be able okay, to fair, do fair that. enough. You you learned from it. <laughs> but yeah, I know we we, yes. we we talked a lot about your your past and getting to where you are now. But I want to talk learn more about what you do as a, a postdoc at Harvard and at Bos at the Boston Children's Hospital about what your research is, like as far as you can share and like what kind of your day-to-day -day looks like. Absolutely. So I, so as I said, I was doing engineering, but at, while I was doing engineering, I realized it, I became very fascinated with cells mm -hmm. because I always like, when I was taking these classes and I was always like thinking about cells, like how they can sense and change things, change their environment. It's like me sensing something as a human and changing my environment, right? What are the forces that are coming at me to change this? And that was something uh, like towards the end of my PhD, I, I was like, okay, I need to understand the sensing, how the cells can sense and change that. And that's when I, uh, when I was looking more into this, like endothelial cells are the ones that really sense, cause they are the ones that uh, align by the vessel okay. wall, like a blood vessel wall. They are, they're aligning and they sense and they keep things very, in a very precise okay. manner for with different forces and contraction and all that. So, I decided to apply for a vascular biology department. So all the people that I work with, they are not engineers, they're vascular biologists. Wow. So it's been a really big learning curve for me, but I really want to, I want to get different type yeah. of training as much as I could. So if I have my own group, I, I can have a very multi-dynamics research mm -hmm. projects and things like that. 
Um, so with the vascular biology department, uh, I work with this professor. Her name is Joyce Bischoff. Um, she's had her lab for 30 years. She's a very uh, well-known person, very well-established in the field. Um, so the disease that I work on, it's called Sturge-Weber syndrome. Um, I don't know if you've seen patients with port wine stains. So they have these lesions on their faces um, that come as a birthmark in the beginning of their, um, when yeah. they're born, but over the period of time, it becomes very aggressive. So this is a, just a facial deformity that they get. They, they, there's no mortality related to that. But these same patients can also have in the brain as well. And because of that, they could get seizures. Wow. So they... They have a lot of neuro disorders and they could also have it in the eye. As you can imagine, if it's by the face, it's in the, in the eye. So they could have blindness mm -hmm. as well. So that's the disease I work with. Um, and I became very passionate about it because there's just nothing much known about it. Um, and it's all, it's so intricate, going back to yeah. cells, how a one tiny molecular switch can cause all really? this to happen. Just one little one R to Q, which is these two proteins, it just switched. It, instead of making this R, it made, ended up making this Q protein. And then it just causes this, you like, I'm very fascinated by like how a biology works, how this little tiny intricate thing can cause such deformity, not just in the face and the brain as well. Um, so my goal has been in the lab too, and these are like enlarged vessels. We could like look at it, histology. And Boston Children's Hospital has the largest number of these patients wow. that we come in. So we get like tissue specimens. We can get brain specimen. And they're not that consistent. They don't like to do a lot of surgeries. As you could imagine, these are children. You can't really do surgeries. Well, like, so they're trying not to do surgeries on these patients. Uh, and there's no drugs, nothing right now. Um, and there's a lot of unanswered questions. So my goal has been to like really look at how this single point mutation is causing with respect to the flow. You could imagine it's a blood vessel, so it's a flow dependent, how cellular interactions are happening. These are leaky blood vessels. So I am really looking interested in looking at how does this the leakage yeah. happens? Because you can imagine if the blood goes to the other side, then it's causing a lot of other yeah. issues. Um, so I've been very interested in looking at that. So I've been looking at it from many different dynamics. And um, over the period of time, I've as an engineer, I want to create better models. I've, uh, I want to, um, I want to create better models to study multicellular levels because right now in vascular biology field, they look at like one single cell layer. They don't incorporate other cell types, but our bodies are very intricate and very complicated. Mm -hmm. So that's why I, I, that's something I want to do in my lab when, uh, hopefully someday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that I uh, I want to create better models. I want to study more complex models, um, like combining my engineering, but now that I have vascular biology um, aspects, I want to study from developmental aspect. Because um, I, I really do think, like, if you understand how the normal behavior works, then we'll be able to understand diseases better. Um, we'll be able to target better. We can't just look at a single cell type and say, okay, this drug would work. No, 
you never know how the other cells exactly. are going to respond, how the other complexities are going to happen. So that's something I'm very interested in. And that's something I do. Besides that, I write grants. Um, I, I do a lot of DEI work at my work. Awesome. So I actually, with, with one of my colleagues, we started this special seminar series where what we do is we invite scientists from other underrepresented countries. Oh. So our goal is to invite people who science, they do similar amount of science, similar type of science, but they don't get recognition. They don't get highlights. Um, So we've had from South Africa and one from Brazil, and we're still lining up like other speakers. So we've been very, we have a lot of support from the department and we're very like interested in that. Uh, So that's something I do with the DEI within my department. I'm also part of... um, this journal called eLife. It's a scientific okay. journal. They publish different aspects of science. And I work as an ambassador for them. So I created a women in science sense of belonging wow. circle. Um, basically, I invite women from different um, aspects of life. I'm usually, I'm very focused on early career yeah. scientists because I really want to talk about the pressing issues that yeah. they're facing, what it means for them to belong in science because I oftentimes felt like I didn't belong there. Um, so that's something that's the type of conversation I've had and it's been a lot of success, um, leading those panelists. Um, and with that same group, I also, uh, invite people that talk a lot about mental health issues in academia. So we talk a lot about like the stigma around mental health. Um, so that's a lot of stuff that, uh, I'm interested in. That's something, um, besides science, I, I think I, I'm a bit advocate for that and I want to keep working on those things. Because science does excite me, but it's it's not like you get results every yes. time. So it's not like <laughs> success rates are really high. So I need to keep myself motivated. I need to like do other things that really like drives me. Um, and that's why I, I've been like interested in doing different aspects. Wow. First thing I'll ask is, how do you yeah. find the time to do all these things? That's a lot of different things. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so passionate that it just. It just doesn't seem like I'm putting it in work, mm, if that makes you're sense. Enjoying it. Yes, I'm really enjoying that aspect of inviting people, talking about certain aspects. Like I'm, I'm really passionate about it. So it, it doesn't feel like additional thing. It's like, oh wow, it's a great opportunity. I want to do this. I, I'm passionate about this. Absolutely. No, I could, I can definitely yeah. understand that. I know you, you know about knowledge STEM and the work we do. It's something I'm, I'm very passionate along with uh, the stuff I do with Incredipal and then working full time. So I definitely understand that the stuff that you're passionate about doesn't feel like work because you you see the impact you're making, the connections you're building, like people who maybe didn't feel like they could do something or where they're making a difference and you have, you're, you have that impact and it just continues to fuel you. That's incredible. Yes. Yes. It's honestly, it's like I there were people who created opportunities for me, and I just want to give back. I want to create opportunity. I want to create paths. And through this, I'm not saying that I'm just creating opportunities for others. I'm creating opportunities yes, for myself yes. as well. Like I'm building new relationships. I'm meeting new people. Um, I'm just paving the path for myself as well. But at the same time, I'm inspired. I I hope yes. to inspire others. I hope to inspire those little sunnas <laughs> out there. That didn't believe in themselves <laughs> to believe in that sounds, you know. Um, that that has been my goal, and um, that's what keeps me going. 
honestly. Uh, that, that's very good. And I, I can tell the, how passionate you are. It just comes out as you talk about it. Like I mentioned, when I heard you speaking on, on the panel, I was like, I, I can tell this is a lot more that you can share about your, your story and what you're doing. And that's why I really want to tell you on the show because there, there's oftentimes when we're going through STEM or engineering, like you mentioned, it's hard. It can be difficult. And like what well, you really mentioned at the very beginning, that mentorship piece is absolutely critical because what you mentioned is that you didn't necessarily know what you wanted to do and your mentor didn't even tell you what to do. I think that's because sometimes people are hesitant to be mentors. They're like, oh, I don't know if I can mentor. Like, how can I be a mentor? But just being there for the for the person, for the student or the person who's just coming up behind you and asking questions and just being an example by you walking your path can be the best form of mentorship. Yes. yes. And that's what I inspire. I, I aspire to be that, that mentor, um, to be there for a young generation, um, help them pave their own paths and um, inspire, like push them. I do not want to set mm -hmm. them back. Because there are a lot of people out mm -hmm. there, a lot of your mentors, they, they set you back and they're like, you're not, this is not for you. Like, what? I do not want anyone to, to be told mm -hmm. that. Um, I want them to try and fail. If it is, that's what's like, that, that's, if that's going to take, mm -hmm. fail, that's okay. But put your step forward uh, instead of somebody telling you that this is not for you or that, like, yeah. That, that's really <laughs> important, but we're about out of time and that went by so fast, but I want to make, yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> but I, I, before we wrap these up, is there anything else about your story or about like what you do that you want to share with our the listeners before wrapping these up, just about just opening up about you or your story? Um, I do want to mention one thing that as you were talking about the panel yeah. that I was on a few months ago, um, the question that came up and it was something that has been making me think a lot. And it's how do you be a woman of faith in academia? How to be how to be a person of faith and saying that you believe in God. Like also like I wear a headscarf that represents exactly who I am, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and and it's it, it it came up in that and at that conference a lot like how to do that that's something I'm like whoa I've never really questioned it because I was I've just been as I've kind of found my voice I've just been so authentic to myself and who I am unapologetically saying that yes I believe in God I am a Muslim. And I carry myself as a Muslim 24-7. Yeah. I'm not just, you know, like, yes, we pray five times a day, which which also came up yeah, at the I conference as well, that we're Muslims, <laughs> we're Muslims, um, not just in, when we are fasting, but we're Muslim yes. throughout. Um, I'm a Muslim throughout the year, and I fast, and I pray, and I'm unapologetically myself. And I... I really hope that me being my most authentic self would allow others to be their most authentic self. 
and bring their whole self on the table every time they they get there instead of hiding. Like I don't hide if I need to pray and there's a meeting that prolonged beyond time. I take time. I tell them I have to take 10 minutes out. I'm going to go pray and come back because God comes first to me. And I hope that the young generation out there who are scared uh, to be their full self, being authentic about their belief not and who they yeah. are and what's really important for them, I hope they continue to inspire. And like, I hope they push themselves um, to do that. And I hope um, me being who I am helps other people um, to get out of that comfort that, that uncomfortable zone that they're in about this uh, and that's something I constantly have been thinking about since that conference that like being my most authentic self that's what I yeah. need <laughs> uh, instead of like trying to be somebody else um, and that means I'm a Muslim woman in science um, and I have to continue to be that way um, so that I can inspire other people to be that yes. as well I really love that authenticity is is huge and I feel like we're, we're losing more and more of it because we're in the TikTok and Instagram generation where people are doing things for the sake of views and likes and people aren't always being themselves. And I know that the, it creates a lot of comparison. I comparison is a thief of joy. And so when you see people who are on authentic, you're gravi you're gravitated toward that. So that's how I was gravitated toward you. I was like, I need to reach out to you. And I, I know that you are definitely inspiring students and several people because you inspired me. And so I think that's really impactful what you're doing to be your whole authentic self and not to hide who you are as a, a Muslim American woman in STEM who's an immigrant as well. So all of those things coming together and rep like what, what we do with DEI representation matters. So a lot of times, like you can talk about the different stuff you, you do, but people understanding who you are as well allows you, allows them to see there's themselves in you and that you, they see you as an example. And so I think that's, really admirable and i i love it so much and i'm glad you brought that up wish we got to it earlier i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> no thank you thank you for giving me the space to absolutely. talk about that i think it's absolutely yeah, thank you so so we're we're out of time but i want to make sure people know how to connect with you whether it's on on socials or email whatever however you want people to connect with you and then for those listening you can see it in the show notes. And then if you're watching, um, you'll see it come across the screen on YouTube. But yeah, just however you want people to get connected with you, talk about mentorship, imposter syndrome, being an immigrant, whatever it is, you can share that. Yes. So I, you can connect me on LinkedIn, my first and last name, S-A-N-A, -A, my last name, N-A-S-I-M on LinkedIn. And I do have a Twitter account. Uh, it's Sananasim4. Um, so do follow me, reach out to me, email me. It's, if you like just Google it, you'll be able to find my work okay. email. Uh, it's sana.yaseem at childrens.harvard.edu. Um, I will be so open to having more conversation on this with anyone, uh, who's willing to want, wants to, willing to open up and be vulnerable. And I'm 
I'm always happy to yeah. be vulnerable and open and talking about this. Um, so please reach Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Well, it's been an honor having you on the show, Dr. Nassim, to share your story of being an immigrant coming to the United States when you're 17, going off to college, not really understanding what you want to do in college, but I would say most of us don't really know, or we think we know, and then we figure out, oh, this is what we actually should be doing. It's actually what to do. So I don't think your your story is uh, too different from most people as far as not knowing, but I really appreciate you being candid about that. And then also some of the pressures of, of being an immigrant and then being a, a woman in STEM as well, that you talked about that, how you navigated that and kept pushing through all the amazing, incredible work you're doing and your in your postdoc at Boston Children's and Harvard Hospital and how you just continue to pu push forward. You continue to mentor people and you can continue to be incredible. So I hope for everyone listening that you are as inspired as I am from her story is her an incredible story. She's doing incredible things. And I hope that you can keep being incredible. Be sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you here next time. And be incredible. Incredible. incredible.